Really, really excited about this tonight, beloved. I think that uh, you're going to be encouraged. Uh, I was encouraged in the Word as we prepared. Um, I want you to know that uh, this is the, the goal for this is for you to be able to ask questions uh, and interrupt me at any time. Uh, you can just kind of raise your hand or something. Yeah, <laughs> you can ask questions. Um, if you want to give scenarios uh, at certain periods of time, uh, that's fine. Just I would ask for you to uh, use uh, discretion. In other words, if you if you have somebody that you know everybody else in the room knows, then you're going to need to be careful of something like that. We're not we're going to be guarded. By change names, okay? Uh, use hypothetical names if you want. If you want to give some examples and things like that, uh, I want us to have the. <laughs> Hey, little man. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> oh man, he's a he is a treat. He is a treat. So we uh, are thankful that we got a good report from the doctor on Monday from him. So uh, I just think it's one. Or we think it's one of those things we're just gonna have to go and work at. Uh, once a month probably just to keep working through it so y'all can continue to pray for us as we figure these things out let's go ahead and open up with prayer and then we'll get started or I guess we're getting started by praying let's pray Father thank you for this time Lord we ask that you help us uh, to understand your word uh, help us to understand how we can help our community, how we can help other people, how we can counsel our friends and loved ones, those that are hurting, um, whether they're suffering or whether they're in sin or, or whatever they're going through, Lord, help us uh, to understand exactly what we can say, to give them hope. And then, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that's struggling and, and has something that they're wanting to work on and wanting freedom from in you. And I pray that you will help this to be um, eye-opening for them and the eyes of their heart will be open to understand your word and understand the gospel and apply it to their lives and help them to walk in the joy of Christ. We love you, Father. We ask that tonight bring glory to you and prepare our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. It will be good for us to uh, start with Scripture. We'll start in verse 12, just to give the whole paragraph, not being self-seeking in the first couple verses, but you'll understand as we go along. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you, you and the Lord, and give 
you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in the love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seeks after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Paul lays it out there for us to, uh, and for the Thessalonians to how they should react and interact with one another. The, the focus that especially I wanted you to notice was how we're supposed to deal with certain people. Admonish the unruly, verse 14, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So as we go through, this is kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get an idea of how we accomplish this. How do we do this? Um, last time I taught this, I taught the ladies uh, a while back ago. I think it's been four years ago, three or four years ago. And I, I ended up spending a lot of time on the beginning part, on what is biblical counseling, and talked a lot about how it's different between the, the differences between secular psychology, uh, integrated Christian uh, uh, counseling, and then biblical counseling. There's three kind of areas. I talked about the differences. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. If you need that, I can get you some notes, or you, I've got plenty of books you can read. Uh, I do recommend this book, and you ought to write this down. I think right now it's on sale for Kindle, $6.99. Uh, it's a book that everybody ought to get. I strongly advise it's called A Theology of Biblical Counseling by Heath Lambert. He's the same guy that wrote Finally Free. It's a book that uh, deals with the pornography problem and how to deal with the pornography problem. He, he does an excellent job in this book. It's rather new. He's up in Jacksonville, actually at a church up there. Um, solid, solid book. Here's what I'm going to do. Anybody that wants to take this class for the Institute to get credit, you need to read this book. You'll read this book and you'll write a five-page summary of the book. If you do that and read the book, then you get the credit too on top of uh, just taking the class. If you're just here just to get the information, then you're welcome to uh, just sit in. Okay? We're not going to charge for the class this time. We just recommend you get this book and read it. Okay? Does anybody have any questions about this? Huh? It's Heath, H-E-A-T-H, Heath Lambert. And right now, like I said, I think on Amazon at $6.99 for a Kindle version of the book. Strongly advise this book. All those issues of whether psychology, Christian counseling versus biblical uh, counseling are all dealt with this in very good format. I have to admit that biblical counselors have a, um, have a reputation. How many of you have heard of NANC before? You've heard of NANC? Yeah, it's changed to uh, ACBC. 
And that group, the Reformed, a lot of them came uh, either out of Master Seminary or Westminster uh, Seminary, have been trained through that group. They're known for being a little bit uh, harsh and not uh, very compassionate towards uh, anybody in the middle. In other words, anybody that does any kind of Christian counseling at all, they're like, they're, they're known as being real standoffish to that. But uh, this book is a very balanced and, and, and gracious way of dealing with it and showing why it's so important. So what I want to do is kind of start off and real quick, we're going to dive in, get ready, take some notes. Here we go. What is biblical counseling? We're going to go through this pretty quickly, and I want to get into the next section. Um, again, don't be afraid to ask me questions at any time. First, biblical counseling is not secular psychology. Secular psychology. Y'all, who can give me basically an idea of the difference between psychology and psychiatry? Anybody can give me an idea between uh, the difference between? Yes, ma'am. Okay, yeah, and, and, and ultimately a psychiatrist has to go through, uh, you know, school to the point of the same level as a doctor, an MD. Right, it's a medical doctor. So uh, there is a difference between those. Uh, psychologists are, are, can have, I, I think, bare minimum, they can even have a BA and be a psychologist. Um, it, it, the, the study or psychology ultimately is the study of the soul. Right? That's what it means, is the study of the soul. And secular psychology has applied over the years. It's, it's come up with the, it's become the solution to people's problems. People go to secular psychologists to, to solve their problems, but they apply their worldview to psychology and how to deal with the soul. And most psychologists, uh, many psychologists, are unbelievers. Psychiatrists are doctors, and they're usually dealing more with uh, brain issues and, and, and uh, chemical imbalances and things like that, and they'll, uh, prescriptions and stuff like that. But psychologists as a whole are, are not. Yes, sir? Some can be doctors. They have to go further to get a Ph.D. to get a Ph.D. in that. But go ahead. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, again, when you go to the locally, if you go to a psychologist, he'll sit, you know, the, it's got the normal, um, what do you call it, um, the things that people are thinking, lay down on the couch and I'm going to listen to you and talk to you and hear all your things. A lot of those are psychologists too. Not Many of them aren't, aren't, aren't PhDs. Uh, I'm not saying that... Uh, that there is absolutely no value in what they say. Uh, the reality is this, that common grace is a reality. True, God has given common grace, so he'll work through uh, man, even lost people, to still bring about wisdom. And, and psychologists can have some wisdom that they can apply, and you can even read of some psychologists and psychiatrists that have written things that help, they give 
wisdom. We just have to be careful because their ultimate worldview is many times based on an unbelieving heart and unbelieving thoughts. For example, they don't believe, uh, most psychologists, secular psychologists, don't believe in the lost condition of mankind. So they think that mankind as a whole is good, relatively good. So if that be the case, then they're going to look at this person, and if this person has a destructive behavior, what are they going to say to them? Well, you can stop. You're, you're good. Or they'll justify that action away and say, well, that's not really bad. <laughs> that's not an evil action. That is not sin. So secular psychology, again, is based often on their lost worldview, and it changes the way things happen or the way they interpret things. Now, many Christians have embraced some of this faulty secular psychology and these thoughts um, in order to deal with people's souls. Uh, the obvious problem with this is, is that we try to bring in a lost worldview into a saved worldview, and we have to be very, very, very careful of that. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot about uh, time on this uh, contrast, but I've already spent... Um, uh, most of the time, like I said, I, again, I would recommend this book, and, and we'll go from there. Does anybody have any questions about that, about secular psychology? I'm going to refer you to the book, though, because I really don't want to spend a lot of time on it. One of the reasons why is because I want to spend a lot more time on how-to. I want to spend a lot more time on practical, less help people. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into a huge debate about these things. Let's just leave it at secular psychologists have a radical difference in worldview, right? Ultimately, as we'll see over the entire seminar, biblical theology is what matters. Uh, we who believe in Jesus know that the Word of God is the instrument God uses to change people and encourage people and sanctify people. A secular psychologist would ultimately say that you don't even need the Bible to fix somebody, correct? Their worldview would say, you don't need it. We would say you can't do anything without it. You have to have it. It's the only way for a person to get better. So ultimately, I think we need to uh, be very, very careful of falling into the trap of thinking. Now, y'all would all hear this, and, and, and I have to admit, and I'm going to confess a sin for all of evangelical pastors as a whole. And here it is. You ready? As a whole, when difficult cases come, what do pastors do? They refer them out. They refer them out. We can't deal with these. This is too much for us. And often they say, go to a secular psychologist to help you with your problem when the Bible says, for believers, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him, through God. So we should be able to deal with this. It doesn't take someone having a, uh, a bunch of letters behind their name in order to help somebody if they're in sin. Why? Because ultimately, who's going to fix people? God is. And what's the instrument he's going to use? The Scriptures, right. So we, we need to remember these things. Do we believe what we preach? And I think we do, don't we? I believe that we need to be careful and apply Psalm 1. Somebody look over there. Look over at Psalm 1. Let's go. Look at Psalm 1. 
Psalm 1.1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Somebody read verse 2. That's good enough. That's good, though. It's good, isn't it? So what's the point? Where do you get your counsel versus where do you get your counsel? You get your counsel from the world or you get your counsel from the Scriptures? The law of the Lord is the thing that gives us and establishes us in what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. It's where our delight is found is in the law of the Lord, and it's the way that we are rooted and grounded and founded strongly. Again, we just need to be careful of where we get it. So what is, what is biblical counseling? Here's what biblical counseling is. Biblical counseling is making disciples of Jesus. It's making disciples of Jesus. Now, at this point, there's probably going to be some, wait a second, that sounds too simplistic. No, it's making disciples of the Lord. I want you to think, give me a scenario. I know some of you are going to say some hard ones, but give me any kind of scenario, any kind of thing that you might think needs counseling. Just give me one. Okay, multiple personalities. Uh, That's definitely diving into the deep end. Uh, Not going to... uh, uh, to uh, <laughs> not going to fix it all in this one thing, but let's let's lay it out here for uh, just a second. I, I've I've counseled a guy that had multiple personalities, and he started talking to me and said, "But I hear these voices and stuff like that." Does the scripture speak to these kind of issues? Absolutely, it speaks to these kind of issues. Uh, Are you meditating on what is right? Is it good? Is it truth? Is it the things that we should be thinking on? Meditate on what's right. So I think Scripture even deals with that. Now, we will, and as we talk about this and go through this as time goes along, I will say that if somebody is not a believer, biblical counseling is not necessarily going to be your first choice. The reason why is because if a heart is not converted, guess what? They are going to be led by all the things of the world, and we don't know where that's going. So ultimately, if somebody's a believer, that does make a big difference. Another one. Okay, opioid addiction. Okay, that's another one. So the question is, can that be dealt with with the gospel? And I would argue it can. I think it can with alcohol, it can with any kind of thing that controls you. That if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, God can give us deliverance and even those issues. Okay? Now you say, well, what about the Christian that can't overcome that? Can they get help from outside sources? Well, yeah, I think they can get help from outside sources, but I truly believe the Bible can give us what we need for life and godliness. I really believe 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, right? I believe this. So I believe that they can give, I believe the scriptures are true. And even opioid addiction can 
be delivered. Okay? Any other questions? Or any other ideas? Marriage problems. Let's get some easy ones. Can marriage problems be dealt with through the scriptures? Yes. How about depression? Yes. Why? Because the Bible talks about people that are definitely depressed, that are struggling. Read Psalm 55 to get a good example of somebody that's struggling with depression. It, there are solutions in the scriptures that tell us how to deal with these things. All right? So ultimately, biblical counseling is helping people come to know the Lord and look like Him and deal with their problems through the scriptures. Let's keep going. Biblical counseling is fulfilling, therefore, the Great Commission. Let's look over at Matthew 28 real quick. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Lo, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm having a problem. Oops. I'm having a problem. And this is hypothetical. I'm having a problem loving my wife. What do I need to do? I need to obey what the Lord tells me to do because he tells me to love my wife, correct? Okay, so if you're making a disciple, you're teaching them to, to observe all that I command them, then obviously Jesus says to the, the, to the apostles, go and teach them to do this. So we must be able to do it. Otherwise, he would have set us up with a job that's what? Impossible. I believe by the grace of God. By the way, did they have psychologists and psychiatrists back when Jesus was saying this? They didn't have them. Didn't have them. When did secular psychology and psychiatry come into... into when did it really start to grow within the last hundred years. So did Christians not survive for the last 1950 years before? No, they were growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord through the Word of God. And we could argue that Christianity was much stronger 200 years ago than it was today and is today, many of the Christians. That's an argument for a different place, but let's keep going. Biblical counseling is making followers of Jesus, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Again, there are some assumptions that are made that the people know Jesus, that the people love Jesus. That's important. So, see, biblical counseling is gospel-centered counseling. It's gospel-centered counseling. As Colossians 1.28 states, we proclaim him ongoing. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ Jesus. In Christ. So who do we proclaim? Christ. So as we proclaim Christ, what happens? What's the purpose of proclaiming Christ? So that they'll be complete. Okay? If, just again, if it meant that we had to go to outside sources for somebody to be complete, then that would imply he couldn't say this statement. You could not say this statement. But knowing the gospel does change lives. Now, as we'll get into it in a little bit and talk about this, it might take time. It might take a lot of time. That's where one of our biggest problems is. People want their problems fixed now. They want them now. 
That's why we have opioid and all kinds of drug problems, because people want to fix now in so, in so many different ways. It might take time. Biblical counseling is proclaiming the person and work of Jesus. Look over at Second Peter. We'll look at our verses that we've already looked over in the last couple of weeks, but they're great, and they are, they're very apical. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Important, the believer called has everything they need for life and godliness through a true knowledge of him. Right? It's, it's right there. And then he begins to explain, as we saw, how we should live in light of these promises. Biblical counseling is gospel-centered counseling. Here we go. So, Miss Fitzpatrick, I want to, Elise Fitzpatrick gives a good definition here. Here's one. You ready? Listen closely. Quote, The process of one Christian coming alongside another with words of truth to encourage, admonish, comfort, and help Words drawn from Scripture, grounded in the gracious, saving work of Jesus Christ, and presented in the context of relationship. That's what biblical counseling is. The goal of this counseling is that the brother or sister is in need of counseling would grow in his or her understanding of the gospel and how it applies to every area of life, and then respond in grateful obedience in every circumstance, all to the building up of the church the glory of God. As we proclaim the gospel, people then obey Christ and their lives are different. It's really good. All right, biblical counseling is proclaiming the person and work of Christ. It's also, biblical counseling is knowing and proclaiming the glories of Christ and all that he is and what he's done. And I'm going to say this and you're going to hear this and you're going to hear different forms of this the whole time. John Piper said this statement. He quoted this. Somebody asked him, what is your favorite book on counseling, to counsel people? Anybody want to take a guess on what it was? No, it wasn't. Wasn't? Wasn't one of his books. It was Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And his per reason makes perfect sense. If we know who God is, we know who we are. And the more we understand who we are and who God is, we're going to respond in what? Obedience. It's a good view of God. You have a big view of God. You have a right understanding of God. You apply that to every question and decision and a problem you have in your life, and it works. It makes sense. So knowing and proclaiming the glories of Christ is what biblical counseling is all about. True biblical counseling must exalt God so that the motivation for the person's obedience is faith in God who loves them. Look, folks, I can get you to do something for your self-esteem, but at the end of the day, that won't get you into heaven, and it might not last. But motivated by the glory of God, we will do totally different things. We'll act different. As we understand the glory of Christ, we're then motivated to obey for the right reasons, not just to build ourselves up and make ourselves feel good about ourselves. 
Y'all all know the personal, I, I know when I was selling vacuum cleaners, they sold, they constantly talking about these guys, Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and all these guys. And all they talked about all the time was your, your self-motivation, that you'll, if you'll feel good about yourself, you just got to feel good about yourself and then you'll, and they, we could get people to do some crazy things like sell $1,500 vacuum cleaners on their hours off. We can get, that's what they do. They motivate you with the wrong motivation. Because ultimately the motivation should be the glory of Christ, the glory of God. And that's only going to come by knowing the glory of God. When you understand who Christ is, then you'll want to what? Obey Him for His glory so you'll show Him off. That's why the systematic theology makes a lot of sense. The more you understand, the more you proclaim the truth, the better you will do. Biblical counseling is helping fellow believers know and enjoy Christ. That is the admonishing, again, as we saw in that verse, admonishing the unruly, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak be patient with everyone. I think it's very important just to note in this verse, there are different circumstances. There's different people. And what you tell certain people matters. If you admonish the faint-hearted, you might crush them. So you need to understand your who. You need to understand who you're talking to. That's one of the keys to counseling, to understand who you're talking to and talk to those people in a way that deals with what they're dealing with. Now, here's the problem. Listen closely, and you'll, you'll hear this. Pastor Mike is a preacher first. I'm a preacher first. So when I go and preach, I'm preaching to a different audience. Okay? And often I try to let the passage have the, for lack of a better term, the harshness or gentleness of the passage. If a passage is harsh, like a James passage, I'll preach it forcefully. Do you understand? I'll be more admonishing. I'll let the passage dictate. But when you're counseling, it's a little different thing. As a preacher, people get their feelings sometimes hurt by me. When I don't mean to hurt them, I'm not, I don't, oh, I don't just think, okay, I'm writing this sermon. I'm going to flay some people out there. I got this guy on my mind and this lady on my mind. I'm going to do that. No, I'm just teaching the passage. And often the passage itself can be what? Direct. Very firm and forceful. But in counseling, it's a whole different thing. And one thing I've heard from people is, is they say this, Mike, you're a totally different person when you're talking one-on-one -on -one with me. I'd say the same thing about John MacArthur. Have y'all ever, if you ever go up after the service when he finishes preaching and you're talking to him, you're like, who is this guy? He's very kind and gentle and, you know, listens to you because each person determines you're trying to figure out how do I need to talk to that person? What do they need to be encouraged or admonished or help? Maybe it's just sit there and listen for a long time. But it depends on what? The person you're talking to. This is very, very important. It's helping believers, though, know Christ and enjoy Him and delight in Him. So knowing your people and knowing who you're talking to. Notice in Hebrews 3.12, somebody read that for us. 
You can read it right off the board. What we see here is, is that it's an ongoing process of discipleship that we're constantly encouraging people over and over and over and over. That's what we're, our, our role is, is to encourage one another and keep persevering and calling people to perseverance. Biblical uh, counseling includes calling belie fellow believers to repentance also and reconciliation. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You have this idea of teaching and admonishing people with the word of God, with all wisdom, this idea of scripture being that location, the word of Christ. Biblical counseling is encouraging one another and building one another up. As we see over in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another just as you also are doing. It sounds like the Thessalonians were already encouraging one another. They were already building people up. We need to be continually doing this, encouraging and building and edifying one another. What is this? It's men counseling men. Women counseling women, married couples counseling married couples, parents counseling children, parents counseling other parents. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we have to do this. We have to be encouraging one another. I will tell you that um, one of the keys to this working is, is that you have to be engaged in people's lives. Um, let me tell you one more big flaw of the seeker church, the seeker-sensitive church. Ready? Do you understand that the seeker sensitive churches are really entertaining? They're fun and they, they probably have better music. I admit that. They have bands and orchestras and all kinds of great things. And sometimes they have some really good preachers that can lay out some really good messages. But when you go to those churches, what happens? You fall in. And that's what people want. They don't want to engage in people's lives. Let me tell you what happens. You tell me if this is true. When I preached, is there a tendency for sometimes you to think in your mind, boy, so-and-so needs to hear that message? Ever thought that before? I wish so-and-so was here. Well, what happens when you go to one of those churches is often you'll go in and you'll hear these messages say, that applies to that person over there, yeah. Or you get this nice feel-good message and you say, oh, I got my little fix and I go home. But you never deal with what? Your own hearts. And you're never dealing with people. You never have this ongoing engagement with people. You've got to. We all need each other to engage each other, to talk to each other, to ask the hard questions, to do these things in order for this to work. Because that's what it's all about. Titus 2, perfect, isn't it? Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. What's implied? Older women 
are teaching younger women. And that means there's engagement. They're talking to them. They're listening to each other. They're talking to each other. They're counseling. This is what biblical counseling is. This is what it is. So, are there any questions on biblical question and counseling? Yes, ma'am. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it depends on the person. And I think, I, I wish I could give you a perfect answer to this, but it doesn't always work that way. If you have a member, that somebody's a member of a church and you've poured your life into them, you've talked to them for a while, then maybe there needs to be a rougher or, or more uh, direct approach to that person. If they have the teaching, they've already been admonished, they've already had people talk to them, then maybe it does get ramped up. It's the same thing with my child, children, you know, when they're, they don't know something, they don't understand something, then I give them a lot of grace. But once they understand it, and they've got it, then I step it up a step. Say, look, you've already known this. You were told this before. And then you take it, and, you, and you're a little bit tougher. So I think, I think it has to do with what they know. I do think you have to inform that, but I also have, I do think you, it takes grace, patience, and kindness, and yeah. Yeah. I would love to say that that's the perfect answer, but my problem is, is that then you have the woman at the well that Jesus talked to that was living with her fifth, the fifth guy that wasn't her husband. She had five husbands. She was living with the sixth guy. And he was pretty gracious with her because of her ignorance. So again, I think it does still depend upon the person you're talking to in their environment and what they've been in. So I, I, I still think it's a little bit. Do you understand? I, I would agree if you could look into their heart and you got to that spot. And we'll talk about that as we go along. Yeah, Wendell. Yeah. Yeah, I think biblical counseling is always. Okay. Okay. If I if I, if I could, I'm, I I think it's it's I think it's evangelism. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's discipleship. I think we should always be looking for opportunities to counsel one another. Now that doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this in a second. That doesn't mean you're you're going to be able to dig in as deep and help the person as much every single time. That's one of my problems. Here you go. I'm going to lay it on the table. I want to get to the heart of the onion, figure out what the heart problem is, and nail it every time, 
real quick. And that's a problem. When you do that, you really set yourself up for a fall. Okay? I'm a fix-it guy. Anybody else a fix-it guy? I just want to lay out, the th get the fix, figure it out, nail it. That's the, repent that's the sin you got to repent of. Repent! Or, as Bob Newhart said, just stop it! <laughs> right, we have to play that video. Ben, you're going to have to find that. Yeah, I'll bury you alive in the box. That's a great video. Needless to say, the point is this. It's not a quick fix always. It's not a quick fix. So we have to be careful. All right? That's a great question, Wendell, and it's actually dealt with. I'm going to deal with it in a second, but I'll give you the short answer. No, brother, you should counsel me. Everybody in here should be counseling me, and I should be counseling you. That's just the reality. Why? Because counseling, biblical counseling, if we say what it is, is disciple-making. So we're making disciples. I think everybody should be doing it. I think there, and we'll talk about it. Let's get to these. Here we go. What are some misconceptions very important I want you to understand misconceptions of biblical counseling misconceptions one biblical counseling is a quick fix people think oh you just think it's a plus B equals C and you've got this fix and it's all set memorize this scripture start journaling and you got it well it's not that biblical counseling is not a quick fix often it can take years Months and years for some things. Okay? That's a misconception. Second, biblical counseling always fits into a perfect box. It's another thing. It doesn't always fit into a perfect box. You might think you've got everything figured out, and you blow it, and you misinterpreted everything, and it didn't fit in that box that you thought, and you need more time to step back, pray, ask the Lord for help, seek wisdom from Him, seek counsel from other people, Read more in the scriptures. Think on these things. It doesn't always fit. Now it fits in God's box, which is infinitely big. But ultimately, it's not. it doesn't fit in a box. Second, third, biblical counseling is a solution for everyone. That's a misconception. Biblical counseling is not a solution for everyone. It is not a solution for everyone. Why is it not a solution for everyone? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yes, yes. I, uh, let me, it's a yes and no. Yes, you're right. However, you have a person that's dealing with an opioid addiction and is lost. What do they need? They need the gospel. You can give them the gospel. That should be, that is the ultimate solution, isn't it? From anything that's got us ensnared, right? Ultimately, the gospel is the solution for all problems. Yes. But if a person is not being worked on by God, the Spirit's not working in their heart, even if you tell them all the truth in the world, what are they going to do? They're going to discard it. They're going to reject it. So 
there has to, it has to have the grace of God working in the person's heart too, or it's not going to work, if that makes sense. Everybody understand that? Okay. Fourth, biblical counseling is only for the professionals. That's what I, you were talking about, Wendell. Is biblical counseling only for Pastor Mike and the elders? No. No, it doesn't work that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, unfortunately, it has come to the place where even some of the biblical counselors fall into the same trap that they look at the secular psychologists and say, this is wrong. What do I mean by that? They look at the secular psychologists. The secular psychologists will often say, well, if you haven't studied and know what I know, you can't help people. Okay? Unfortunately, there's a group in the biblical counseling that says, unless you have your ABCB or ACBBC certified, you can't counsel somebody. That's wrong too. That's wrong too. I think anybody in this room can be a biblical counselor and should be a biblical counselor. Now, obviously, you might be a little bit better than others, but that's only because you've done what? You spent more time in the Word getting ready for that thing. Okay? If you know the word a little better, then you're going to be able to apply it to certain problems quicker. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I think, yes. Ultimately, I would say the answer is yes. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. Absolutely. We also think psychology... We've all been psychologized to a degree over these kind of terms. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that we should admonish, encourage, exhort. That's what the Bible says. So we stick with what it says, and I think it's discipling, discipling people. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you think the Bible and the Lord was sufficient for the suffering that Paul went through? How about Job? Those guys' suffering far exceeds most of the suffering that any of us suffer. But it was enough. Christ was enough. Again, I think it fits every single circumstance. Every single circumstance. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's actually one of my points later on. So, yes, you just stole it. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it has to do with tomorrow's subject when we talk about interpreting, interpreting people's problems. This is a crucial thing you want to come back for tomorrow, is being able to interpret what problem a person really has. Because what normally happens is people throw up smoke screens all over the place. And there's something bigger going on in their heart, but they're throwing all this stuff up and you can't even see what it is. There's something bigger going on. Yeah. And Job's friends just missed it totally. Yeah. All right. So biblical counseling is not only for the professionals. It's for all of us. Because after all, Paul says in Romans 15, 14 to the Romans, he says the Roman church, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. 
Hmm. Who was he writing to? The Roman church. Now, they were a godly church, I admit. They were, a, but he also wrote them what? All the gospel. He repeated the whole thing to them. The whole book's the gospel. If they had it all figured out, which I think they had the bulk of the gospel, he was just doing what? Reminding them. Clarifying, maybe, some of the truths. Helping them understand it. They already knew it. This is the truth. You have it. Go share it. That's what he's saying. Everybody can do it. What are the basic presuppositions of biblical counseling? What are the basic presuppositions? Things that we have to stand on. Things that a biblical disciple maker stands on. Well, here they are. You ready? The authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Do we believe that the Bible is sufficient? Look over at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Y'all have read it. I know you've heard it. You've read this scripture a thousand times. But how many times do we skip over and not realize exactly what it says? Somebody read it, 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Wow. What does that say? Real simple. This is what we teach. We teach the scriptures and it's so that we, so that, purpose clause, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped. Do you understand? It's, not, it's authoritative and it's sufficient. It's God's word. We believe that, right? Psalm, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Look over there real quick. I love this. Do we really believe these words? I think we, I think sometimes, I, I think sometimes people think I'm nuts because I say this so many times, but I really believe it. <laughs> I believe this book is enough. I know there's there's thoughts. Well, that's the book you've studied all your life. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the book I love. It's the only book I need, really. If I had the Bible memorized, I'd be one amazing dude. I'd be ready, right? Let's memorize the whole scriptures if I applied it, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, verse 7. Restoring the soul, converting the heart. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's me, the simple. All of us, right? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Imperatives are important too. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey of the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That's the scriptures. Sufficient and authoritative. Second, the sovereign God is the deliverer from sin. The sovereign God is the deliverer from sin. Look over at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm not going to do all of these. Philippians chapter 1. Great verse. Verse 29. Somebody read 
Philippians 1, 29. You're going to have to read louder because we've got some music going on now. It works out real good. Philippians 1, 29. Okay, so what does this mean? This means that God is ultimately the one that gives us faith. Believe. He gives us faith and he gives us the suffering, which means what? He's in sovereign control of everything. Everything, including, only, including our suffering. 2 Timothy, turn over there real quick. 2 Timothy 2, 24. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. This is my, uh, these, are, these are my ministry life verses. Mark, if you ever preach my sermon, this, or my funeral, these are the ones I want you to preach on. 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If, perhaps... God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What's this mean? Repentance ultimately comes from God. What does that mean if you're counseling? And you say, do you see that this is the problem? Yes, I see this. You know what you need to do. Yes, I know what I need to do. You understand you need to repent. Yes, I know I need to repent. Okay, repent. But what's going to have to happen? Ultimately, God's going to have to work in their heart or they're not going to repent. <laughs> they, can, they can acknowledge everything. They can get the whole thing. They can go, I got it. And unless God's working in their heart, there is no repentance. So ultimately, we have to know that God is sovereign. Beloved, he's sovereign over our mistakes, too. What do I mean by that? I'll, I'll go back to in, uh, in my memory. I did some counseling with a husband and a wife. Make sure this gets quoted correctly if you quote me. So don't, don't misquote me, please. Maybe you shouldn't even quote me on this. Tell him to come talk to me. Sitting down with the husband and wife, and we're talking, and the husband says something, and the wife says something, and the husband says something, and the wife says something, and in my mind, I got it. Wife, by that time, I'm jumping the gun, right? Real too, real quick. Wife's got a problem. The wife's, it's the wife's problem. That's why. And I jumped on it. And I said, it's this. You got to do this. You got to stop that. About two or three weeks later, I hadn't seen him in a while. They were going to stop going to our church. What's going on? My wife feels like you attacked her. You blew it. Ooh, I'm sorry. Called her, apologized, begged her forgiveness, said, Look, I know it's both of you. Both of you got problems. I get that. I shouldn't have jumped on one side. It was wrong. Please forgive me. God was sovereign over that mistake too, though. The reality was is that both of them ended up not loving each other and being with other people, and they both left each other. What was the point? It was wrong. It was bad altogether. I made a mistake. 
But God was sovereign over those things, and I learned from it. I learned a lot from that. You should all thank the Lord for those mistakes, too. Because when I talk to you, I often am a lot slower to interpret. And I'm a lot slower to look at the circumstance and try to be gracious to both of you and try to figure out what's going on. Okay? Is God sovereign over our mistakes? He absolutely is. Did I repent? Yes, I did. I think they forgave me, but it didn't really make much of a difference, did it? But God's sovereign. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know, and if y'all sit in any kind of counseling with me, at times I sound like a broken record. Once I really think that, and they agree that this is the main issue, then I go back to the only hope they have, which is the gospel. And I continue to point them to Christ, and I continue to point them to try to motivate them through a proper theology. I try to give practical tips, yeah, little things like, you know, we'll talk about those tomorrow on, on little things that you can help yourself by having good company. Bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, there's some practical things you can say, but ultimately, until the people grab a hold of the truth and the Spirit of God works in their heart, you just have to leave it there. You have to trust the Lord. I can't fix anybody. I'm not fixing a soul. You can't either. You will never fix anybody. I promise you. The best you can do is proclaim the truth, trusting in the Lord, and allowing His grace to work in people's lives. That's how you have to think. That's how you have to think. Right? All right. So let's keep going. We also, a presupposition is the nature of man. That man is what? Totally depraved, a sinner, right? And even after they become believers, we're still what? Very sinful, much more sinful than we think we're sinful, right? Without a correct understanding of total depravity of man and the continued sinful influence of us as believers, we will fail to counsel people where their true hope is found. Now, I know, I know I'm going to say some things that are going to push some people and struggle with people. But listen, beloved. Ultimately, it comes down to faith. It comes down, a lot of people's problems come down to trusting God, whether they're going to trust God with their circumstance or not. Another one is, is that there's a sin that they're holding on to. Okay? Those are, I'm, I know I'm overgeneralizing here, but let me give you an example. Anxiety, worry, okay? I'm just worried about this and this and this and this and this and this and this. What's the solution? Repentance is the solution. That is the solution. Because the Bible says that. Do not worry. It says that. Now, 
Is it just stop it? No. It's God is a good God. He loves you just like Jesus did. He provides all of your needs. Matthew 6. Not one bird falls from the sky without Him knowing. He takes care of you. He loves you. All of that indicative truth, right? Now, turn to Him and trust Him. That's repent. Turn to Him and trust Him. That's your only hope. Beloved, how many times do you have to counsel your soul with those truths? You're prepared to be a good biblical counselor then. People ask me, people ask me how, I was talking to my wife about this. You, my wife said this too, and I'm, I'm going to pick on her a little bit here. She said, you just have the natural gift of counseling. You did say that, didn't you? Yeah. I said, you know why? You know why? Because I sin a lot. <coughs> what? I sin a lot. I've learned how to counsel my heart back to Jesus Christ. I've learned how to point myself back to Him. And by teaching myself how to counsel myself back to the cross, and back to Christ, and trusting Him, I learned how to talk to everybody else. Because I know what you're struggling with, because guess what? I struggle with the same things. The same exact things you're struggling with, I struggle with. We're all in a war. We're all in a war to trust the Lord and turn from sin and own our sin. So maybe I do have a gift of counseling, but it's only because I'm a sinner. And I realize foremost of sinners in the room. Fourth, Presupposition, the means of change is only the gospel. It's only the gospel. It's only the gospel. I think this is way too often minimized in our counseling. We need to bring the gospel to bear on every circumstance for true change to happen. We must know we are loved before we will love others. When we blow it, we need to see the cross and understand what Christ went through for us. And once we understand that, then we will repent of our sins and we will embrace Jesus again. If every time I worried about something, the Spirit brought to conviction in my heart, you, you that's another sin that caused Christ to die. I would sin, a, I would worry a lot less, wouldn't you? It's what we're thinking on. It's how we're counseling ourselves. And again, when we look at the world, it's evil, isn't it? It hates people. Everybody hates everybody right now. What do they need? They need an understanding of the gospel. Because if they understand who Christ is and what he's done, then they would stop doing that. So we need this. We need it over and over and over. It's the instrument of our deliverance. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll talk about it in a little while. It's all over. Salvation, salvation, regeneration, that's conversion, must come first before true obedience can occur. I'm not going to look up all these verses, but it is so important. You've got to get this, beloved. Obedience occurs if you're born again. Facts. Fact. 
Without being born again, obedience is not going to occur. Right? Obedience to the Lord. We all know these truths. You believe this. Can people be good? Yeah, they can clean up the outside of the cup. They can have a, a healthy conscience even. That I, I was taught all my life to open doors for ladies. And they can open la doors for ladies and show respect to them. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, in light of God, does it even matter? Not a bit. Because ultimately the motive is not what? It's not God's glory. It's their own glory. Right? So ultimately, regeneration must come first. Six, we're almost done, and then we'll take a break. The counselor must also continuously counsel himself. I already hinted at this, but look over at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. So very important. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Beloved, this is one for Facebook for sure. All of us to think on before we post. Boy, everybody... All of us are really good at correcting everybody else, aren't we? But boy, we need to remember this verse. There's times where you read it, you read it and go, oh my, does the person realize? I went to post something once. I was going to post it and I thought, but if I post it, I'm actually doing the very thing I'm confronting. The Spirit got a hold of my heart and I was like, well, I can't post that because if I post that, I'm actually doing what I'm telling them not to do. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in the trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a person, such a one, in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Wow. Truth, right? That doesn't go across on Facebook ever, does it? Most of the time it's smack somebody... Not in a spirit of gentleness, but do it in such a general way that you can hit them without them officially being called out, right? Without even looking at our own hearts. Oh, beloved, we need that right there. That's what we need, a spirit of gentleness. It implies what also? The goal is restoration. The goal is restoration. The goal isn't what? Guilt. It's not about making them look small. It's about what? Helping them walk with God and enjoy Him. That's a whole different world. Whole different thinking. The counselor must be continually counseling himself. And finally, sanctification is a process that requires many factors. And we'll deal with this in a second. Let's take five. Ten minutes. Take ten minutes and then come back. <laughs>